So Lord Jesus, we do uh, praise you this morning. We uh, acknowledge just that you are not only the maker of all life, but the sustainer of all life, and that you rule and reign. Right hand of our Father, praise you. Thank you for your presence here in our midst. Would you open our eyes and ears of our hearts, of our souls, to hear what you have for us. Just have that sense you have some very important lessons of faith for us this morning. Lord, help us to hear them deeply from you. In your name we pray. Amen. Most of you uh, know that... uh, I am from Chicago, was born and raised in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, I really don't want to talk about the double doink playoff loss recently with Chicago, so could we never talk about that ever again, all right? But I bring up uh, Chicago because Chicago has a a number of what uh, folks would call mega churches um, in the area, in the city, and surrounding Chicago. And last year... Um, uh, Willow Creek, there's a leader, Bill Hybels, is perhaps one of the most influential pastors and leaders, not only in the United States, but around the world because of the Global Summit. But last year, uh, he stepped down, retired early, um, and it was in the midst of uh, credible accusations of sexual misconduct. Um, And quite honestly, that took me aback quite a bit, in part because I have his books on my shelves. He's the one that uh, I've looked at and and sought to uh, learn about leadership and the faith and so forth. Um, Part of the reason why it took me back as well is this wasn't a momentary indiscretion But what was the accusation was uh, patterns of behavior that were there. Just in this month, just a few weeks ago, there was another uh, mega church um, in Chicago, Harvest Bible Chapel. Some of you perhaps have heard of that. The leader came out with a letter, James McDonald, and he is taking um, an indefinite sabbatical. And he wrote this public letter. It was a good letter. It was a sad letter. Um, It was a contrite letter. And he wrote this. I have battled cycles of injustice, hurt, anger, and fear which have wounded others without cause. I have carried great shame about this pattern in certain relationships that can only be called sin. I'm grieved that people I love have been hurt by me in ways they felt they could not express to me directly and have not been able to resolve. I blame only myself for this and want to devote my entire energy to understanding and addressing these recurring patterns. Again, uh, taken aback a bit by these leaders that, that are leaders of the faith Uh, leaders um, not only in their community of faith, but because of the size and the influence of their church and their networks, leaders to to folks like me that that are seeking to serve God's kingdom. And so after I, I, I recover a little bit when I get hit by that, I try and ask this question. Is there a lesson here? Is there something that I should learn from? If I if I if I wanna learn from the successes and the things done well by these leaders? Shouldn't I also learn from their stumblings? To to look at what caught them up because I know that I don't ever in my life want to write or have to write a letter like that. Is there something, and especially when I see the idea of patterns that they're saying, we've recognized these patterns, so this wasn't this one incident of saying, watch out, but are are there patterns that I'm living right now that 
rather than them leading to that place where I need to take an indefinite sabbatical? Are, are there things that I need to look at and address right now? The story uh, that we're going to look at this morning is Genesis 12. If you would turn with me, if you've brought your own Bibles, there are Bibles located in the seats in front of you. And last week, we started in this journey of looking at Abraham. He is, by many accounts, the the father of our our faith. He demonstrates uh, faith in God. We saw last week that God calls him. He says, go and leave all that you know, all the, the sense that Abraham from, he would, would have gained security and identity, his father's home. God says, trust me, go. I, I want to bless you. I am a God. We learn that God is a God of blessing. That's his heart. He's saying, go, trust me. I'm going to bless you in all these ways. Go to the promised land. And in a beautiful way, we see immediately this response of Abram, and he says yes, and he packs up all his stuff, and he goes. And there was a sense of no wonder he is the father of our faith. But unfortunately, we don't even get out of the chapter, chapter 12. And Abram stumbles. Abram makes a decision influence his his wife that is incongruent, that is inconsistent with his faith. And in some ways, as I was reflecting on this story, there was great comfort to me that even a person like Abraham makes mistakes. There was also a sense of warning. Why? Why? Because even a person like Abraham can make some mistakes in the faith. I said, how, Lord, do you want us as your people, as we're looking at faith, as we're, we're trying to learn, can we learn not just from Abram's successes, but also his stumblings and mistakes. And I think that's what the Lord wants to do this morning. He wants to teach us a little bit about how faith works. All right, we're going to learn some principles of faith from this little story. Very, very important principles of how faith works. I think also God wants to give us a warning. This morning... And then finally, I think he wants us to hear a particular invitation regarding faith and our faith walk. So let's jump right in. So we're in Genesis chapter 12. Remember, he says, uh, this beautiful covenant, I will make you into a, a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. We noticed, how many times does he say bless or blessing or blessed? Not three, no. Five, five times, right? We got the emphasis Abram goes, yes, and he goes to the promised land. We have a little bit of a map, actually, that it's, uh, can you see that? It's following the journey. So he started in Ur, that was his hometown. And then uh, his, his father and the family went to Haran, which is up there farthest north. And the promised land, of course, is Canaan at the present time on the left side of the map. So he was in, uh, in Ur with his family in Haran. Here's the call, goes to the promised land in Canaan. He's in the promised land. He obeys God and goes, and we pick up the story in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt. If we go back to that map real quick, you can see Egypt is down south. So there's famine in the promised land. Abram picks up, packs up, and heads to, perhaps because of the River Nile, where there's greater food source, heads down. Verse 11. Um, 
As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. So it's working out pretty good for Abram at this point, right? Interesting, the, the, the writer doesn't really give us commentary of whether that was good or bad. He just tells the story. So how do we know that Abram stumbled? The very next verse. But the Lord. When you have but the Lord, usually something's up. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram. To his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So, just a kind of an interesting side note here is that this is a foreshadowing, a picture of the story of Israel, of what Israel would go through. That they would eventually end up in Egypt, then God would be upset and he would send plagues, right? Does this sound familiar? and then Exodus, and they would leave Egypt. So there's a, a beautiful foreshadowing that's taking place in the life of Abram, all right? One of the ways to really get out the depths of some texts of Scripture and to understand and hear, discern what God is saying is to ask good questions of the text. And so here's the question I have of the text. Why famine? Why famine? Now, what did God, what was the essence of God's promise to Abram when he came to Abram? What was it? Abundance. Abundance. Blessing. Five times he says, blessing. I'm going I'm to bless your socks off. You just be with me. You listen to me. You follow. Abram says, okay. He goes to the promised land and famine. Famine. Why famine? Isn't that, isn't that confusing? I, I wonder if Abram was confused. I, I mean, do, is the lesson here that God's perhaps a little forgetful? Like he, he forgot the promises? I mean, it was the very same chapter, right? I, I don't think he was forgetful. Was he punishing Abram? Because of sin that he had committed. There's no evidence in the text for that. I don't see that anywhere. So, so why famine in the midst of the story of blessing and favor? Let me ask the question in a deeper way, a little bit deeper way. Why would God cause famine or at the very least allow famine? Why would God do that at this particular moment in the story? It's going so well. Abram's obeying. He's trusting God. He believes in the abundance and the blessing promise. Why would God allow or cause famine? I think to really answer those questions is to understand, I would say, two really, really important lessons on faith. 
And the first lesson that I think the Lord has for us this morning is this, is that faith has an increase. Faith is not something either you got it or you don't. And if you don't got it, bummer. Or if you even have a little bit, bummer. That sometimes we think of faith that way. Either you got it or you don't. Oh boy, boy, I'm glad I got faith way more than that person there. That, that's not how it works. That, that faith, that's not a dynamic. It is not a either you got it or you don't. It is a faith that can be increased. It is something that can be matured, that can be prospered, that can be grown. How do I know that? Primarily because of the way Jesus talked about faith. Now, Jesus talked about faith a lot. Do you know how many times Jesus mentions faith? I don't know either. I didn't want to count them up, but it's a lot. It's like over 40 times there. I got tired of counting, actually. So over 40 times he's talking about faith. So not as much as the kingdom of God, right? But he talks about faith. He calls, he asks people questions that he knows the answers to. Why? He's probing for faith. He's inviting faith. He's testing for faith. He's giving an invitation that people would trust and believe in God. He tells his disciples, have faith in God, very clearly. He talks about faith so much that there was a moment in the ministry of Jesus where the disciples go, okay, Jesus, would you increase our in fact, he was talking about forgiveness, which can be a very hard lesson. And he, he, he talks it in such a way, it leads the disciples to this question. This is Luke 17. He says, he says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you and saying, I repent. Don't you love when Jesus uses hyperbole? Wouldn't that be funny? The, like the seventh time your brother coming to you. I'm sorry. I re really? This is the seventh time. <laughs> Jesus says, what are you supposed to do? Forgive. Hard lesson. Hard for us to do. Right? He uses hyperbole. The response of the disciples, which I think should be our response, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. How do you think he responded to that? Do you think Jesus said, are you so dull? You can't ask that. Faith doesn't have an increase. No, in fact, he goes on. He, he talks about the power of faith, that if you grow, if you just have the littlest bit, the smallest seed, it opens up life with God in incredible ways. Just, a, just that little bit of faith. In fact, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says, it's impossible to please God if you don't have Faith. He's inviting to this idea of faith. My question for you is, have you ever prayed? Lord, would you increase my faith? Have you prayed it lately? I believe that this is a prayer that honors the Father, that, that pleases the Father and pleases Jesus. That he's wanting us to be not only a people of faith, but he's wanting us to seek to grow in faith. Now, before you say, all right, pastor, I'm going to pray it with you, increase my faith. Before I do, we do that, I want you to know a second really important lesson on faith that this story tells us and helps us answer the question, why Famine. Faith has an increase. Faith also has a test. And God will test our faith. Let's unpack that for just a moment. James 1 2 says this 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. In the last trial that you had, did you consider it pure joy? Yeah, that's a hard one, isn't it? Lord, increase our faith, right? Now, who's doing the, the testing of your faith? Is it the enemy? It's God. God is doing the testing. Most of the time when we experience a, a famine, a trial, a, a difficulty or, or suffering, we don't consider it pure joy. We go, God, I thought you loved me. God, I thought you were a God of blessing. What's happening? I think Abram could have said, God, what's going on? You said, bless, 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 bless. I said, okay, I'm in the promised land. Famine, what? Is that you ever? Yeah? How in the world? How in the world would we consider it pure joy? I think if we understand this, Logan, you're going to want to write this down, my friend. This is a good one. This is from Spirit right here. All right. I love you, brother. I don't let David throw shade your way. I'm with you, man. Thank you. All right. So if you understand the economy of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven has the most important commodity. Do you know what that most important commodity is? It's not coffee. <laughs> the coffee is close, but it's not. In fact, I'm willing to discuss. I've been thinking about this for a while. So you might in include some other things. Uh, like love would be something, integrity would be something, really important commodity. But I want to suggest that there is the most important commodity in the kingdom of God. It's not gold. Heaven's going to be paved with that, right? So the value of gold is going to go way down when it's in the pavement, right? It's not pork bellies. You know what I think and I believe is the greatest commodity in the kingdom of God? Faith, faith, this is what leads to salvation. We can't do enough good things to get into heaven. It's got to be by faith. That's why Jesus talks about the power of faith. That's why Jesus is inviting faith. He's saying he's trying to make us wealthy with the most profound commodity in the kingdom of God. And what God is going to do is sometimes he is going to test our faith. He's going to bring a trial and difficulty. Why? Because he wants us to stumble? No. Because he wants us to sin and fail? No. What's he trying to do with trial? He's trying to, to grow our faith. Um, I'm not that good of a, a, a cook or a baker, but I, I do kind of get some joy in experimenting with recipes from time to time. So special occasions, Christmas, Easter, those kind of things, I, I will look up a recipe and, you know, make, uh, I like cheesecake, so we'll do different things with cheesecake. So the Super Bowl's coming up, right? And I thought, oh, I'm going to make a little bit, since I'm not really interested in either of the teams that are coming. Sorry for the Patriots and the Rams fans. But so I'm not really, so I, I wanted to cook maybe a, a dip of some kind. So I found this article that said, this was the title of the article, 10 Dip Recipes That Will Test the Structural Integrity of Your Chips. I would like to make a dip that tests the structural integrity of the chip, right? I, I really want to see what will happen with that. I think the Lord tests the structural integrity of our faith because he wants to grow and increase and develop our faith. Yes? He tests Abram. 
And Abram's tortilla chip, it, it just broke. He, he lied. He lied. Not good. Now that, that faith works in that way, that we get, faith has an increase, but faith also has a trial. And if we're going to pray that prayer, we have to be willing to say, Lord, if it means to be, to be rich in faith means to go through some trials, then I, I, I know that trust in you and our relationship is so important. Would you increase my faith? Are you willing to pray that? Now, I think there's a warning here in this story that, that's really important for us to hear. And that warning is, is that there are things in life that directly diminish and unfortunately sometimes kill faith. And we need to be mindful of that. We need to watch that. We need to uh, look and, and seek to see. And the enemy, that's where he wants to get involved. And a story like this should be a warning that says there are times and we need to recognize these things that, that kill faith. We're going to learn from leaders. We should learn from their successes as well as their failures. And part of the failures, I believe, is that both of them failed to recognize the, the dynamics that kill faith. That the leaders, apparently, I don't know, I've done some reading, but I don't know in great detail, but there were patterns of faith diminishers in their lives. And no one said, no one had the role in their life said, hey, that was not from a place of faith. That doesn't flow from a, a person of faith. That you need a check in your life. Let's define faith for a moment. Scripture gives us a definition of faith. It's right from Hebrews 11, 1 through 2. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. This is what we commend Abram. Not in this story, actually, but um, at different places in his life, we commend him. So, so think about this idea of faith is simply trust, right? So if I sit on the stool, I have a measure of trust that it's going to support my weight, right? I, I, there's a, a faith there. If I had no faith in the stool, I would not be sitting on it, right? Now, faith in a biblical context goes to relationship, especially the, the context of marriage is, a, is probably the best example. When you say, I do, there's an element of trust a faith relationally. You're making a commitment to obey, to love, to care for, and you're believing that person is also making that commitment. Now take that idea of faith and apply it to the relationship with God. He's made promises just like we do in a marriage. He said, I promise to give you eternal life. I promise to love you and forgive you. And, and walk with you. And we can't even see God in a marriage. You get to see that person right next to you in the, in the flesh, but God's spirit. So we have to trust in his word to our heart and soul in those promises. And we say, God, I trust you and I believe you. Even when times get difficult, even when you bring famine, when we make our vows... When we confess Christ, we say, even in those moments when I don't get it, I'm going to trust you. Trust. That's the definition of faith. Now, faith has some primary killers. 
I'd say some of those primary killers we see in the story of the, the two pastors don't know exactly what their words. They can be greed. It can be pride. Uh, it can be lust. The things that press into and war against God, we said yes. And yet there's things in life that the enemy can bring that causes us to compromise our faith. Make sense? There's a faith killer, a faith diminisher in Abram's story. Did you see it? Do you recognize it? I would suggest it's perhaps the pro one of the primary faith diminishers in our lives. Fear, yes. He was afraid for his life. We don't know if God told him to leave the promised land and go to Egypt. I'm assuming he probably didn't. There's no story of God saying, hey, yeah, famine, go to Egypt. No, he's just like, oh, this is, this is bad. We, we better go to some place that has food. Uh-oh, this is bad too. I, they're going to recognize how beautiful my wife is, and they're going to take me out. Yikes, Sarai, you better lie. So the, see what's happening, this dynamic here is Abram said, I'm good, God, let's do it. Blessing, I'm on board. Hey, my life is threatened here. Let's lie. His chip broke. Isaiah and what the Lord says through Isaiah. So do not fear. God is telling us, this is a faith diminisher. Fear can be contrary to what I'm trying to do in your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, for I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you in a beautiful image. He's saying, I will be that parent. I will be that father that mother that takes your hand even when you're afraid grip on and trust me don't compromise your faith by your own devices trust me I've got your hand squeeze tight if you want but trust me unfortunately Abram does not trust he lies. He makes a decision that is derived not from his faith, but derived from his fear. Boy, could we really grow in our faith if we begin to ask the question, what are these decisions that I'm making in my life? What are they derived from? Are they derived from Fear or insecurity or pride or lust or unhealthy ambition. I think those were some of the faith killers at work in the pastors. If I'm making decisions, if I'm relating to other people based on those things and not my faith, well, that's not good. That's an unhealthy pattern that needs to be checked. I'm a fan of uh, Bruce Springsteen. Any, any Bruce Springsteen, the boss fans in here? Yeah, a few folks of you, yes. He was writing really openly in his memoirs about his life and the brokenness of his path and uh, uh, his past. And he was talking about his past, his upbringing when he was this little guy. And he says, it was a place, his, the home that he grew up in, where I felt an ultimate security, full license, and a horrible, unforgettable, boundaryless love. It ruined me, and it made me. Talking about, he says, this, this upbringing ruined me, and it made me. And he's had a pattern of cutting off and shutting down all relationships, romantic relationships, of marriages and 
divorces and so forth. And he says, essentially, it's cowardly. He says this about himself. He says, because I, I have this fear. He was talking about a fear of being deeply loved. And he was making decisions. He was cutting off romantic relationships. He identified this in his own life based not on a place of faith and abiding love, but based on fear of his past. The thing he's missing, in my humble view, is trusting in God wants to heal those broken places of fear and replace those places with faith. Because that's the most important commodity in the kingdom of God. He wants us to make our decisions not based on any other things that, that would diminish our faith, but that would increase our faith. That, that's the warning that, that don't we need to see and recognize these faith killers, these things that diminish our faith. Now, aren't you glad that despite Abram's stumblings, he doesn't give up on Abram, right? Aren't you glad that he's like, oh, that was really fast. He didn't get out of chapter 12. Yikes. Well, let's give Lot a shot. Maybe that would be a little... Can we find someone else that would work better? And he's not given up on these two pastors, right? He hasn't given up on them. Aren't you glad he doesn't give up on you? Amen? Amen? Yes. In our stumblings? In our difficulties? Yes. However, another lesson or warning in this story is that God will not give up on us, but faith has a consequence. Lack of faith. When we stumble, there is a consequence that happens. When uh, the people were given the, the, the um, Ten Commandments, oh, wait, I lost my place here. Where am I? I'm still not there. All right, I jumped it. You know what? Yeah, thank you. Um, integrity. I skipped integrity, didn't I? I went to consequence. I was so excited to get to the consequence of faith. No, I wasn't. Let's back up just a second because I think this is a super important thing. Is there's an invitation... There's an invitation that's here to recognize that faith has an integrity as well. This is perhaps one of the crucial points for us, is that there's an integrity of faith that God is trying to work in us. And that integrity... It, th this idea is that we should be living, we are invited to uh, live a life that not only flows from faith, but flows from the one, the character in whom we've placed our faith. Does that make sense? So if he is a God of truth, and we're lying or in any way living in dishonesty. We're not living in the integrity of our faith. Right? You understand? If God is a God of righteousness, if, if that is who he is, if God is a God of faithfulness, and in any way we are not living faithfully, then we're violating the integrity of faith, and our chip is breaking. You understand? When, when the, the Ten Commandments were given, the people saw the lightning and the, and the mountain shaking, and they were afraid. I always thought this was a great uh, 
verse from Moses. He says this, do not be afraid. Fear God. <laughs> Which is it? What do you, he says it like this, do not be afraid. God has come to test you. Hmm, that's interesting. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be in you to keep you from sinning. He's saying that this is a test, that he wants to drive out the things that diminish your faith from your life, and he wants you to bring you to a place of reverence. <clears throat> See, fear God is a holy reverence that's a relational thing. And he's trying to increase your faith. You could call it increase your fear, not of man, of God. And live from that place. Don't compromise it here because you have so much reverence and holy fear here. And as you are strong, as you face these trials, as you don't compromise here, you live integrity here, God will grow your faith. God will bring the increase. And he will unlock ever-increasing measures of power, of love, of blessing. That's faith's integrity. God is wanting to you, you to live not only consistently with your faith, but consistently with the person you've placed your faith in. That's why he says, blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called sons and daughters of God. And people go, ooh, look at that life. Look at that. Wow. Boy, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Paul is just like his heavenly father. See how that works? Living with integrity. All right, now face consequence real quick. The reason why I know there's faith consequence is not only the story. Sometimes God just allows natural consequences to come in our lives, doesn't he? Yeah. Sometimes we face consequences simply because we do stupid things. <laughs> and we say stupid things. And we hurt people. And there is a, an ebb and flow in this world that sometimes he, he just allows that consequence to happen for us. Sometimes the consequence doesn't happen quickly enough for, uh, for God. <laughs> so then in our lives we get a, but the Lord. <laughs> but the Lord. You see, Abram found himself in a pickle, right? He just uh, kind of ushered away the mother who was supposed to give birth to the promised child that was going to open up the blessing from God. <laughs> Whoops. Right? So God intervenes. There's a consequence in faith. And this gets to the power of faith, too. Incredibly, it said this about Jesus' life and ministry. Do you know when the power of Jesus was diminished in his earthly ministry? Did you know there were moments where the power of Jesus were diminished? That, that just sounds weird coming out of my mouth. But that's the only conclusion I can draw from this Mark 6 passage. He, Jesus, could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people. Oh, that was it. He only was able to, just a couple of folks. But compared to what his ministry usually was, he was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, there's a mystery there. I don't understand it fully. But the commodity in the kingdom of God of faith is so significant, so powerful. He's saying, I've got this life, an abundance for Abram 
and for you and me. We saw that last week, right? This isn't just about Abram. This is about you. This is about God growing faith in you. This is about God wanting to teach you abundant life. He's wanting to unlock in you this beautiful life that you were created to live. And the way there is faith. The way there is the increase. And sometimes that's through abundance and blessing and goodness. But sometimes that's through trial and suffering. And sometimes that's through rebuilding as we wrestle through the consequences of our own lack of faith. Would you this morning be willing with me to pray, you could say it's a dangerous prayer. Lord, increase my faith. I, I think we should do this with, with eyes wide open. We should do this recognizing that sometimes God uses famine, that God uses trial, that God uses difficulty. But it's worth it. We could even count it pure joy and go, wow, God cares enough about me that he's wanting to grow and increase my faith. You willing to pray that with me? Are you willing to say, God, help me to recognize those faith killers, the things that will be temptations to diminish my faith, the things like fear, the things like pride, the, the things like acquisition or success or fame or influence or power. Lord, would you help me to recognize that and see that? And go, okay, this is not what God wants to do. This is coming from my flesh. Would you hear the invitation to live as people of faith in integrity? Say, God, I want to live as a person of faith based on who you are and your character. And I'm willing to go through some tough consequences if that's how you want to grow my faith. Are you willing to do that? Don't take that invitation lightly. I believe wholeheartedly that God will change our lives and this church if we say yes to that prayer. Would you pray with me? Let's just take a moment. I want you to, if you're not ready to pray the prayer, it's okay simply to listen. But if you are, if you want to just hold up your hands just before you on your lap, perhaps. Father, thank you that you've been with us. Thank you that you, uh, you love us enough to test the integrity of our faith. You love us enough to allow us to face consequences of our decisions and our lack of faith. Father, thank you that you're not, uh, you don't give up on us even when we make big mistakes. You're, you're there with us. Lord, we want to ask, just like the apostles, would you increase our faith? there's anything in your life that you know is not the way of faith you're living in a pattern 
this is the moment to confess it and give it to the Lord. Would you just take this moment? You, some of you, I just could feel it that you, you hit this pattern, whether it's, whether it's fear, whether it's sin, whether it's compromise, whether it's lust, whether it's unhealthy acquisition or ambition, whatever that is, that you know it's inconsistent with a person of faith and it's a pattern. God wants you to acknowledge it, lay it at the foot of the cross and give it to him. Would you take this moment just between you and him to lay this before the foot of the cross? Insecurity and doubt. Some of you wrestle with that. Lay that at the foot of the cross. Judgmentalism and pride. Lay that at the foot of the cross. Impatience and frustration with God. Lay that at the foot of the cross. Father, we don't want to be people that write letters like that at the end of our lives. We want to be a people that are learning the patterns of faith patterns of righteousness, the patterns of mercy and forgiveness, the patterns of truth, wholeness, and peace. Fill us with those, Lord God. In your name we pray. Amen.